Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. We're going to have a wonderful show for you. And when I say we, the power panel is already in place. So we're going to have guy talk, guys who talk coming up in this hour. In hour two, uh, Dr. Craig Keener is going to be joining uh, for a discussion on his book, Impossible Love. This is going to be a couple of hours you don't want to miss. That's just my feeling. Anyway, the power panel is pastors Tom Parrish, Tom Brock, Peter Kapsner, and Justin Jepson. Gentlemen, welcome. Thanks, Bill. Hi, Bill. Hey, Bill. Good to good to hear your voice, Justin. Although I can't see you, I, I look I look forward to the day you can be in the studio with us. Yes, yes, me too. Hopefully, that'll be here sometime soon. Yes. So I want to invite listeners to text your questions over. You can text them to eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Again, eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Ask the pastor anything you want. We'd love to get your questions. Again, 877-933-2484. Okay, gentlemen, I was reading in Acts 17 um, where it says, From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. It sounds like God has determined when I would live so that my ministry would reach its maximum potential. That's kind of an encouraging thought. Yeah, it really is. I I like that thought. And, you know, I I think of uh, Jeremiah. Lord said to him, before you were created in the womb, I knew you. So I think that I honestly believe the Lord knew all of us before we were ever created and already had a plan in place. And our responsibility is to listen to the Lord and follow that plan. So it's pretty exciting. Yeah, and Jesus said, a bird does not fall to the ground apart from our Father. So every little thing is controlled by God. Even, I mean, I was just reading in Joshua, where Joshua is fighting these pagan kings, but God hardened the hearts of these kings mm-hmm. to come attack Joshua so that God could destroy them. <laughs> I mean, so he's even in, char- in charge of, you know, these things that are awful, mm-hmm. and... uh uh, yeah, Pharaoh's hard heart too. Yeah, I think I think embedded in this as well is you know uh, when when Paul talks about God determining a lot of periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, verse twenty seven that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him. I think built within the God ordained um, uh, purpose or uh, mission for us, you know, individually and as it as it pertains to our connection to the body of Christ is actually, God actually gives us limits. Um, and those aren't something that we we should try to brush up, you know, as we brush up against those, we actually, we experience our limitations so that we will be dependent and seek God, because what God calls us to do, we cannot do in our own human strength and through the means of the flesh. It has to be done through the supernatural empowerment of the indwelling spirit. So I think part of that is ideas that we feel our limitations, we feel our weaknesses, we feel our shortcomings, and in that, God is actually 
divinely orchestrated those limitations so that we'll seek him and be dependent upon him. Yeah, in that same book of the Bible, too, in the book of Acts, I was trying to look up a passage from, it was Acts 13, actually, where it says that for David, after he had served the purposes of God in his own generation, mm-hmm. fell asleep and was laid with his fathers. And so I, I love that passage because there's a sense almost of peace about it. It's just, you know, do what God has asked you to do in the season of time that you have to do it. And I think, understandably, we want to strive for more and better. We want to think, gosh, what can we do next? And what can we grow and build and all of that? And if you can just simply peacefully ask God what he has for you, whatever that is within the incredible uh, algorithms of the kingdom, right? Because we don't know what part we serve in all of that. And I think when we sort of independently strive to find our own purpose and our own way and our own function, as opposed to saying, you know what? I trust whatever my purpose is in this generation, God will raise up when it is time. And if that's for a day, it's a day. If it's for a year, it's a year. If it's for a decade, it's a decade. But just just trust that the kingdom will come through you in that season of time. And when the time is done, then then it's time to rest and uh, and head into the eternal kingdom. And that's just, I, I think that's such an incredibly peaceful invitation. Let me add this verse into it. This is 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 18 and 19. But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Mm-hmm. If they were all one part, where would the body be? And I think, well, not only is God giving us his time and his um, job to do, but he also is arranging the body that it can function together. It's kind of an exciting thought. It really is. And I, and I wish sometimes, Bill, that, that for maybe some believers that are listening, that didn't feel patronizing somehow because we have elevated certain gifts within the body sometimes totally. as above others. And that has led us to celebrity pastors. It's led us to so many situations uh, in yeah, which yeah. there is this hierarchy in terms of the gifts, right? And and so, and, you know, in the book of Corinthians, they were all striving against one another to see who was more important in the kingdom. And, and I think if we can somehow live out a way of life in which it actually doesn't feel patronizing that the less visible gifts are somehow less than important uh, and stop elevating these things, uh, I, I don't know how to do that entirely, but I don't see too many um, representations of that where we don't elevate one gift above the other, but that is absolutely the invitation. But again, we have to trust how God works these things out within the economy of his body versus how we value and see things uh, appropriately. Nicely, uh, nicely done, gentlemen. I already have a, a listener wanting to know, she has a friend whose mom died 11 years ago, mm. and the mom is uh, praying for her mom every day that she will get out of purgatory faster. So, um, this person writing says, I don't believe there is such a place, but I couldn't tell her why. I, I was raised Lutheran. What can I say to her about it? It's not, yeah. in, the, it's not in the Bible. Can't find it there. I mean, it's just yeah. not in the Bible. And even the Catholic Bible that has more books than the Protestant Bible, that they think they get it out of the book of Maccabees where there's, a, I think, a vague reference about praying for the dead. But mm-hmm. that that doesn't have the whole doctrine of purgatory. I mean, I'm, I'm troubled when I go to uh, Mexico and I walk into a Catholic cathedral there and you see a big picture of Mary up on the throne and this, below her are people in flames holding up scapulars begging Mary to get them out of purgatory. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, is this as far removed as possible from the New Testament? Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to bash Catholics. I think there are many Catholics oh. that that are saved, but I, I just think that this is the kind of thing that prevents me from going to mm-hmm. to, to that route. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And in, in addition to that, you uh, brothers can correct me if I'm wrong here, but if, if my memory serves me right, that the doctrine of purgatory in terms of the addition of, you know, the, of what's called the Apocrypha or the books that were written in the intertestamental period, in other words, between Malachi and Matthew, 
weren't added into the Catholic Bible until uh, the, fi- the 1500s during the Council of Trent. So in other words, the first 1500 years, um, this was not necessarily um, a, a prominent teaching. But even uh, if you even if you add them in, even if you add them in, I mean, they're not I, yeah, you're, I mean, you're 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 right, Justin. This is what I've learned. Uh, the 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 books of the Apocrypha, the books between the New Testament and the Old Testament, were kind of in limbo. It wasn't like mm-hmm. there was a firm teaching. When Martin Luther said they're not Scripture, that's when the Catholic Church said, "Oh, yes, they are," <laughs> and made it official. And uh, yeah. so there you go. Well, here's the problem with purgatory. Since its inception, and this is what Luther rebelled against. There's money mm-hmm. attached to it. You can pay mm-hmm. money and have candles lit for your relative in purgatory, and you can get them out earlier. Luther said, look, first of all, I don't believe in purgatory. I don't believe the Pope has any power over anything like that. And if he does, he should empty the place free of charge. That's what he said. He did. Yeah. And I agree with him. Once you <laughs> attach money to it, it becomes an entity all to itself. So you have a vague concept that maybe came out of the intertestamental period. It's become a whole doctrine. And I think it has confused a lot of people. But when you go to the New mm-hmm. Testament, I mean, look at John 5. Jesus says, the moment you believe, you have passed mm-hmm. from death to life. Yeah. Eternal yeah. life begins now, not someday. About just so people know the history. And when I go to Europe, I love going to St. Peter's Cathedral, the most gorgeous church on earth. And I love it. And I'm thinking, I should not be enjoying this because purgatory money built it. And what happened about 1515, Martin Luther was a Catholic monk. Tetzel is selling indulgences. You can get grandma out of purgatory quicker if you give us money so we can build St. Peter's Before Cathedral. The coin. And the yes, copper rings. every copper that in my coffer rings, mm-hmm. another soul, soul from purgatory, purgatory springs. springs. And that <laughs> is pretty much what started the... Again, Luther didn't had no intention no. of starting a new church. He pounded those things on the door of Wittenberg Cathedral, and, and the Pope excommunicated him uh, for challenging purgatory, etc. But again, I'm just... I'm just saying, read the New Testament. Even, Luther even thought that the Apocrypha mm-hmm. was good devotional material. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't on right. the level of it. But, but just read the New Testament. Can you imagine Paul the Apostle going from town to town saying, now everybody put a scapula around your neck so that if you die, that'll get you time off of purgatory. I just don't see him doing that. Yeah. The woman that gave you the question, she was talking about her mother, did you say? Friend. No, a friend, a friend who lost her mother 11 years ago. <gasps> If says, the, she says she prays for her mom every day that she'll get out of purgatory faster. Okay. I would like to, I'd love to sit down with somebody like that and say, did your mom go to church? Did she ever confess Jesus? Because I could show her passage after passage that says the moment that happens, mom is in the kingdom of God right mm-hmm. now. If mom never did that, that's a different story. And no amount of praying is going to get anybody out of somewhere that doesn't exist. Since we're rolling through the annals of church history here too, I think it's interesting to look back at some first century ideas of what happened in the afterlife with the early church uh, as well. And Paul is very clear in saying that to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord, right? So so there's a presence of the Lord, but the early church also recognized that the fullness of the reconciliation of earth and heaven that is to come has not yet come. So when we talk about people going to heaven when they die, I think we're talking about going into the presence of the Lord while we still await for the resurrection of the body, while we wait for the reconciliation of all things. And in the early church in the first century, there was a sense in which they went to sort of this intermediate place where God's presence is clearly there for them. Even the word paradise, when, when Jesus is on the cross with the thief is representing the word paradise, it, it's less about 
the future reconciliation that is to come. And it's more about, I will be present with you as we all await the coming reconciliation mm-hmm. when Jesus returns and restores heaven and earth as one. And we so, get it, that's when we get the new body. That's exactly right. And so yeah. there, there's not a sense right. of purgatory, like where you have to somehow atone for the sins of this life to make your way no. finally to that, that fullness of that reconciliation, because we're all waiting for that reconciliation to and, come. And you know, the, this is the big question. Do you believe in soul sleep, that you sleep? Until the resurrection yeah, there's day, that, right? or are you consciously with the Lord? And I'm, I'm, I'm pretty big that yeah, you, you go consciously with the Lord. That's yeah. a couple of reasons today, not two thousand years Correct. today. You'll be yeah, in yeah. paradise. The other big one, mm-hmm. when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah Elijah. from the Old Testament, they're not sleeping. They're awake and they're talking to Jesus. And and then you're upcoming going to Jerusalem. There you go. And then you've got Luke 15 where where the rich man dies and goes to hell. The poor man dies and goes to heaven. And they're not sleeping. They're awake and talking and wanting to get out, you know. So, yeah, indeed. Well, if there is a Catholic priest listening uh, or someone in the Catholic Church that would love to jump into this conversation, I'd love to hear from you. be great. Yeah, and when, yeah, we, absolutely. Go to, when we go to break, you can certainly give us a call. Be so bold enough to uh, give us a call. Rosie, tell us, uh, just call this 877 number. Yeah, 877-933-2484. We'd love to get your perspective. I just had a listener say, in all fairness, uh, you, you know, You'll, you will one day have a Catholic on your panel. I'm a lifelong Catholic and supporter of Faith Radio. So for sure. Absolutely. I grew up Catholic myself. Great. I grew up Catholic myself as well, and I still yeah. have a as tremendous respect for the historical tradition. Like I think when we limit our theological inquiry back to only the Reformation of the 1600s, mm-hmm. we miss out on the beautiful richness of 1,500 years of faith. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, That's right. So if you're out there and you're a, a priest or you have— uh, you know, can jump in on the conversation, please call 877-933-2484. We'd love for you to jump in with the panel. Uh, any other questions? Let's text them over. Keep them coming. Be back in a minute. Guide Talk. We've got a strong panel in place today. Pastor Tom Parrish, Pastor Tom Brock went to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, we're down a panel member for we're some reason, un- unexplainedly. Yeah, yes. we don't really know what happened here. We could wait, but I would prefer just to move move ahead. I think that's, that, right. that's a good I, idea. I agree, Go yeah. for it. More Peter, my time. Peter Kapsner and uh, Justin Jepson is the panel. Yeah. So, uh, Tom is back. All right, Tom, welcome back. <laughs> nice to have. Getting, yeah. o- getting older, aren't you, buddy? Yeah. You, could have yes. t- you could have timed that better. <laughs> are, we, are we on the air? Uh, yes, yeah, your mic is red and hot, oh, for sure. Sorry. Yes, Hi, everybody. <laughs> anyway, right before the break, we were talking about a listener that said, I've got a, a friend who lost her mom 11 years ago, and she's praying for her mom to get out of purgatory faster. And, and I think we've had a very respectful conversation. And I would love to um, invite any uh, person, uh, a Catholic priest, anybody who says, you know what, I'm, I'm a deacon at the church. Uh, I would love to jump into this conversation. It's a very friendly group. I promise you won't get hurt. Uh, yeah, 877-933-2484. 
Yeah, I, what I love about this conversation, too, is that I, I do think that the doctrine of purgatory is fairly tough to substantiate um, by scriptures and, and even by the theological tradition. But then in fairness, I also think the way that Protestant, many Protestant organizations celebrate communion as a once-a-month ceremony to sort of fit in mm. after the sermon is also not what the what the invitation of scripture is. And so I know when I had to do a ton of research as part of my dissertation stuff in the early church practice of communion, there was a very robust understanding, you guys as part of the Lutheran uh, organization as well would probably understand this, that it was more than just trying to reflect back with bread and wine and being grateful that Jesus did something on the cross. There was really a robust sense that when Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, that word remembrance mm. within the original Greek language is the idea of the very power of the past available at the cross is now present in yes, this very exactly. moment. And so it's not just trying to recall something mentally, it's actually experiencing and engaging with the power at work that broke the yeah. power of sin and death. And I think the yeah. Catholic Church has done a tremendous job of uh, of holding the sanctity and the beauty and the power of communion in ways that the Protestant Church maybe has missed out on. And maybe even in the 16th mm-hmm. century, they shoved aside the communion table as the center of the service, <laughs> as the center of the Mass, mm-hmm. in favor mm-hmm. of the pulpit. Uh, and that, you mm-hmm. know, of course, we need to have sermons and sola scriptura and the scriptures and stuff, but not at the expense of the communion table. And so there's this mm-hmm. both and thing. And I really appreciate so much of Catholic history in terms of its appropriation of scripture. Yeah. Yeah, Peter, along with that, you, you, I mean, you kind of, I was going to say, I'm, I'm going to say two things. One's tongue-in-cheek, and the other one is actually, uh, in truth, a, a, a very serious reflection that I've had from growing up Catholic and and kind of transitioning out of the Catholic Church and exploring, you know, different Protestant denominations. And I've, I've said before on this show, I'm a, I'm a denominational monk. I'm an evangelicalic. <laughs> And uh, so kind of all over the place. But I actually, growing up Catholic, I lived right next to a park and had a creek running through it that was named Purgatory Creek, Purgatory Park. So as I was learning about purgatory as a little kid, I was extremely confused and I was afraid to go to that park because I (laughs) I was learning about purgatory. (laughs) But then I realized, oh, this is is a beautiful park I spent. So I like to jokingly say I've spent a lot of time in purgatory. It's actually a pretty nice place. But um but all that to say, uh, yes, to Peter's point, I, I've, I've witnessed that as well, to, to have maybe a, um, a respectful critique of the Protestant tradition. I, I think in some ways we have replaced the communion table and, and the presence of Christ being the focus and the centerpiece of, of a service with, with preaching. Not that preaching and the presence of God are antithetical. They, they go hand in hand, but I've seen far too often— a long sermon, 40, 45 minutes, and then and then the, the communion is almost kind of like a little pagan closer at the end mm-hmm. when everyone's taken the elements before I'm even like really settling in to the reality and the truth of what they mean and what they represent. And so I think that for me, I've, I've, I've learned to appreciate um, that piece and really respect, um, you know, the balance of those two and actually giving the, the appropriate time to both of those crucial elements when the people of God gather together on a weekly basis. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful thing to do, and I'm all for it. What we don't do in Christianity is sit down and have this kind of discussion. Right. If we would do this between Roman Catholics and Protestants, and, and we could really talk honestly and really look at the evidence, I think we'd come to some much greater understanding of one another, and probably a lot of divisions would begin to fade away. And it's unfortunate yeah. that we get into this power control thing and we want to, we're recognized for this, you're recognized for that. No, no, I mm. want to be recognized for Jesus and his word. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah, we have far more in common than what than what differentiates us, right. for sure. Mm-hmm. All right, here's a question about someone labeling someone as being toxic. As Christians, do Christians have the right to throw someone out of their life because they are toxic? What do we do if someone is toxic? They say Jesus walked away from people who are toxic. Isn't that being arrogant and judgmental? Well, Jesus did say, you know, let the dead bury their dead and don't follow the Pharisees. It's the blind leading the blind. So he wasn't beyond saying, look, that that's a person you need to stay away from. So I think there's a way to do that, though. And not, you, you can do that humbly and lovingly, or you can do it with a sledgehammer. And the Bible says, speak the truth in love, not speak the truth with a sledgehammer. Mm. So... I mean, is it is it possible, you guys, to hold sort of appropriate boundaries in a situation like that where somebody may, however we define toxic, right? But if somebody is bringing uh, quite a bit of havoc into a relationship, have appropriate boundaries, but not lose hope for that person mm-hmm. in the long run, right? So mm-hmm. we don't we don't dismiss, we don't condemn, we don't be done with, we don't wash our hands with another human being. But it doesn't mean we don't put up appropriate boundaries. But to just say, done and dusted with you, uh, there's no hope for you. I think that's specifically no. what Jesus was saying is like, do not judge. He's not saying do not discern what is right or wrong, but he is saying don't you dare ever put somebody beyond the pale of my kingdom because anybody can come in if they're willing to repent. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, A passage that has often um, intrigued and confused me was at the end of the first chapter of 1 Timothy where Paul commends Timothy for uh, holding the faith with a good conscience. But then he says by rejecting this, some have made a shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, and he says this, whom I've handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So uh, there's a sense in which, you know, Paul had this distancing, this this boundary, this this turning over of these people who um, had some type of uh, toxicity, at least in their presence within the, the, the church in Ephesus where Timothy was pastoring at the time and the church that Paul founded. And Paul says and not so, even to eat with those people. So right, it's, right. it's okay to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but mm-hmm. what our culture has done is that toxicity in our culture is that person is a piece of now garbage. You just simply mm-hmm. throw them away. You have yep. nothing to do with them. Yep. They're not even worthwhile to think mm-hmm. about. Or in Christianity, I do believe that there are times to put up boundaries. There are times to speak mm-hmm. the truth. I mean, he called the Pharisees whitewashed sepulchers. Mm-hmm. There is a place. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. the burden for the Christian now, even though you can put up those boundaries, doesn't stop you from being in earnest prayer for that person's mm-hmm. salvation, awakening to the Lord, becoming a new person. And my problem is it took me a long time to realize that the people that we would call our enemies, if you can use that language as Christians, were the people I was forced to learn to pray for. Yeah. You know, because yeah. it's easy to throw people away. Jesus says, no, 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 no. You know, be represent me to them as best you can. Yeah, you guys There's are no cancel culture in the kingdom of God. Nah, yeah. Thank you, Justin. Thank Indeed, you, yeah. you guys right. are doing a great job today. I'll offer you a second complimentary beverage if you like. Oh, I'll take it. <laughs> I mean, you've, wait, you, Bill. What about me? Well, yeah. you're out of luck, yeah. Yeah. Mr. Secret <laughs> Agent. Go find your own thing. <laughs> we'll take a next break. You go to your own fridge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me know what your questions are. Eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. A bunch of great questions are coming in. We'd love more of them. Again, 877-933-2484. Be right back with Guide Talk in just a minute.
Welcome back to Guide Talk. It's the uh, hour where guys talk. So all you have to do to get them to talk <laughs> is to ask questions. And I'm pretty sure the formula will work. So 877-933-2484. It's a text line. So get out your phone or computer and text the question you have. And we'll do our very best to answer it. And I guarantee they will at least talk. So I'm looking at a nice quote by John MacArthur. He said, the very one who gave the law that condemns us also supplies the righteousness needed to save us. Amen. Yeah. Amen. All right, here's here's a different kind of question that I think uh, you, you guys will like kicking around, um, and it's this. Now I lost it. Um, <laughs> I had it just a second ago. That's really gone. I got lots of questions coming in, though, so... Let me see if I can't find it here real quick. It was an interesting question. Um, okay. Here it is. Here it is. Do you have an opinion of the Divine Comedy? It is said that Dante wrote that in a state much like the Apostle Paul on Patmos. Well, that would have been John on Patmos, right? Yeah. Yeah. But that yeah. general idea, I think, remains. Yeah, I should have caught that and raised well, the I mean, question. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, I was I flustered because I couldn't find it. Yeah, yeah. So then I just read it. <laughs> it's okay. I haven't read it, but they've got, you know, uh, people like there's certain uh, bishops that are in the lowest rung of hell, if I remember right. And it's it's a big fictional I thing. It yeah. It's not it's not like he's claiming that it's true. Well, it's not an apocalyptic writing. No. Apocalyptic means that the Lord himself was working through that to give the imagery, help us to understand. Dante, I think, took good, a lot of good theology and then tried to weave it into a narrative. And whether you like it or not, and I've read it, you know, um, there's some power there. And, and if you pay attention to it, you can really see some realities that we face all the time. We just don't know how to deal with. So I had great respect for Dante and what he did. Yeah, I think there's works that people have done, great literary works, great artistic works over the years that... Um, would, would sort of capture dimensions of God's kingdom. I would call them less than inspired. I wouldn't call them uh, equivalent to John in the island of Patmos receiving a vision of the risen Lord, right. or when Paul talks about being caught up in the third heaven and being instructed for a couple of years by Jesus himself about the nature of the kingdom. But you know, at the same time, a work like, um, like Dante uh, or maybe Handel's Messiah, it's talked about, was written in a night you know, by Handel, and obviously it's been used in church for a very long time. There, there's sort of these works of inspiration. I would even put sort of Liam as a Rob in some of these categories. These are not perfect works. They're mm-hmm. not without flaw. They're not entirely consistent with the kingdom, but they sort of move the human soul in a way that kind of plucks the string of the narrative of heaven, yep. but they're not of the same quality of those things where, I mean, we're talking Paul and John received instruction from Jesus himself yep. in, in the risen Lord of the kingdom. That's a different thing than maybe sort of having a, a, a work of inspiration that still is important, but it isn't the same thing. Agreed. That's why you're the celebrity guest. Is that, is that, you you've never string. Why, where, I wouldn't have come up with that ever. <laughs> I'm going to use that on my Twitter handle. If I had Twitter, I would use that. <laughs> Hashtag celebrity guest. I like that. And, and, and God can even use unbelievers to oh, do. Sure. To, to, I mean, for instance, my favorite classical album is an album by Ralph Vaughn Williams. An English composer uh, died, was it in the 1950s? Well, he wrote all this beautiful church music, and I love this album. After he died, his wife wrote a book saying, 
My husband was an unbeliever, and he mm. didn't want me to tell people, but he was an unbeliever. Mm. There's an, or, or let me tell you, my favorite, most moving scene in a secular Hollywood movie is the end scene of Places in the Heart with Sally Field. And I don't know if I should tell the ending, but I, if that at the very end, she goes to church and something happens, mm. I, I won't say what it was. I mean, it just makes you cry. Yeah. And I don't know that the uh, Sally Field is not a believer, doesn't claim to be. But, you know, the, God can use unbelievers to do wonderful oh, things. Sure, for sure. He always has and he always will. Yeah. All right. Here's a question. Gentlemen, I'll be gentle. My husband was killed four months mm. ago. People say he's watching over me or that I can talk to him and he'll be there with me or that certain happenings are a sign from him. I don't believe that we can or should try to communicate with the dead. What Bible verses could I give them? My deep condolences for the loss of your yeah, husband, but boy, you boy. are theologically spot on. You are. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Well, in the Old Testament, it forbids us to talk to the dead. It's an abomination to go to. I mean, uh, even Saul got rid of the spiritualists till he went to the rich, witch of Endor to, to get Saul, uh, Samuel raised from the dead. So there are a number of places in the Old Testament that forbid us talking to the dead or going to spiritualists or, you know, right. we, you want to stay away from seances and Ouija boards and, and does your husband watch over you? I don't know that I don't know that we know if the people in heaven on, can see us on earth. I don't know that there's an answer to that. You don't pray to your husband. You don't look for signs that your husband is, is watching over you. That's God's job. We don't. We pray to God. We don't pray to our dead husband. Well, in, in the New Testament it says there is only one mediator between God and men the man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that word mediator means communicator. You, he is the only one that communicates to us now through the Holy Spirit and through then his word. But he's the communicator both ways. And so uh, I think this woman is doing exactly the right thing. Yes. You pray directly to the Lord. He knows how to take care of your husband in eternity. Mm-hmm. And he's going to watch, Jesus is going to watch over you. Yeah. Justin, anything? No, I mean, I just think it—it it sounds like this um, this woman's husband, uh, late husband, was was a believer, and so I think I, I think the comfort and the consolation comes in recognizing that he, even though he dies, yet he will live. That Jesus said, "I am the resurrection and the life," mm-hmm. and so he's he's more alive now than ever. Um, they, and we were talking about earlier, right? You know, Moses and Elijah. <laughs> they were that there was that that sense where they came. I mean, Jesus Jesus did that. You know, um, and he has that prerogative um, to be able to do so. Not not us, but at the same time, um, her husband is is alive in the same way. Moses and Elijah is in the presence of God as we await the second coming of Christ, where He'll make all things new and a new heaven and new earth. And so I think, yeah. you know, that that's our comfort. That's what Peter talks about: being born again unto a living hope. Um, the resurrection of the dead, and so I think that should be the focus. And it sounds like that for this for this dear sister in Christ, that this is where she's maintaining her focus. So in terms of Bible, you know, verses, I think just to not not only focus on the prohibitions um, of of speaking to the dead, but also focus on the admonitions in Scripture of what we are to focus on. 
and 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 the comfort and the hope that we have in Christ. And we need to be careful. There used to be a terrible TV show called Crossing Over, mm-hmm. where the psychic would get in front of the audience and some woman would stand up. Yes, uh, is my mother doing okay uh, on the other side? And and the psychic would, oh, your mother, and he'd start telling her specific things about her mother, and then the woman would cry because it was so uncanny. Well. Satan is the deceiver. Satan can masquerade as our dead relatives. That's why sometimes when people go to seances, they may be in touch with some supernatural knowledge, but it's not from God. It's from Satan or demons, which is why, again, we are commanded to stay away from that stuff. It's not your dead uncle. He's in heaven or hell. He's not floating on earth trying to give you messages through seances. Just beware of that stuff. One thing I'd say to this woman, if she wants to send Bill to Bill her email, and he's willing to give it to me, I will send you five or six or seven scripture passages that will kind of back up what we're talking about. All right. Yeah, just one more point on that maybe, too. I think it maybe takes some solace in that without knowing for sure, being dogmatic about it, it sure seems like the scriptural tradition does talk about a presence that that maybe her late husband is present and aware and waiting, just like we're all waiting in those ways. Because the almost every ancient religious tradition in the world before it became so systematized, maybe under Islam or Christianity or some of these other some of the other major world religious faiths, they had what was called the shamanistic traditions, in which the shamans in almost every religious tradition were seen as trying to help people all the way into the afterlife. They right. assumed there was ghosts. There was assumed there, and I'm not saying these things are valid or viable. They are clearly not. But, but I think we underestimate maybe what's going on in the unseen realm. And then I would yeah. I would suggest probably best guess her husband is waiting, present, uh, and, and, and aware even of her in this time. I think there's great solace in some of that. But we don't know that, Peter. We don't know that. But okay. and, and, and I'm not saying that we should try to interface with them. Okay. But to your point, I, I, you're, I think all of your cautions are correct. But when you look at the history of the church yeah. and you look at how people understood things, the the idea of a great sleep where people are just okay. not aware anymore. No, no, right. I, but no. yeah, but clearly we're we're talking about do not mess around in that I, realm. I, I, we're not did he take it outside? It. Well, we might. Yeah. Well, and he already <laughs> left the the, the the studio once, so who knows where he went before? I, I left Wake's. Yeah, exactly. I know. Yeah, you would take me down hard. But you, but honestly, I don't think about my I, my. I love my mom. I love my dad. I don't think about. Are they watching this? I mean, I don't. I, I, my concern is God is seeing everything. Who Indeed. cares if mom and dad can see it? You know. So I just think we got to get a true it. story. My friend, Doctor Ken Hunter from the Church Growth Center in Indiana, told me a story that I put in my first book. And I'm not talking about my book. It's just this story is so good. He actually died. Hmm. He he had sinus surgery and then his sinus cavity afterward. The stitches broke loose and he literally. Well, blood to death. And he said he can remember the ambulance attendant saying, I think we're losing him. And the other guy says, yeah, I think we are too. And he said, that was not a good thing to hear. Uh-huh. But he said, suddenly, I was in the presence of the Lord. Yeah. That was his language. I was in the presence of the Lord. I have peace like I've never had in my life, a sense of love. He said, Tom, I could taste the leaves on the tree. That's how powerful it was. He said, suddenly I woke up in the recovery room and my wife was there, my two small children, and I was angry to be back. And he said it took almost three weeks to get back into this life because of what he'd experienced there. And he said, I no longer have any concern about death because I know what's coming. And I love my wife and I love my children. I'm glad to be back with them. But I could have stayed. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Well, let me ask this. I love our listeners. I love the vulnerability of listeners. And I have a feeling this is coming from a, a man. And he said, how do, you, how do you learn how to lead your family as a father and husband without having had a good example of critical thinking, planning, and prioritization. 
Yeah, boy, oh boy. Isn't I mean, that vulnerable? We, yeah, it really is vulnerable, yeah. and and I think it's it's reflective, Bill. Of we're talking probably now two generations into a, a massive disruptive uh, disruption in family life in our culture, where so often men have not been present in the home, and so young boys are growing up without any kind of role model to do that. I mean, who can you can you think of any profession, any situation you find yourself in where you don't have a role model to help you along the way? Like how that then you are sort of this first stepper. You're the first generation, and I think for this person to to not try to be all things to all people, but to just set something and, and make this a generational play. Think, think about his own kids, like go as far as you can. My father once gave me a tremendous gift where he came out of a very difficult family background and he kept telling me, you know, Peter, I can only go this far with it basically, but take it further than that. Go further with that. And I've given that gift to my own sons as well of saying, I can only go this far. So to take the full responsibility as, as if he has to be all things to all people as a husband and as a father right now, no, absolutely not. Go and do what God has asked you to do. And think about that in terms of a generational play about what that's going to mean for your children and your grandchildren and your great grandchildren to come. I think that that's the only responsibility that we have in these situations. And we never know what's going to work for our individual kids. Right. You know, whether it's just directly talking about Jesus, whether it's doing Bible study with them about Jesus, whether it's praying with them, which I'm all for all of those. But I remember my grandmother once saying, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly in the beginning. In other words, Mm -hmm. you step into it, you try (laughs) it, you see what works, and then you keep pushing forward and see where it goes from there. And for most people, it develops over time. It doesn't just happen, but it works. Yeah, I I, uh, I think this this brother is off to a really good start in just the, the humility that I think he's conveying, and and I think that you can trust that God's going to give him the grace to to know what just what that next step is, yeah. and and I think that for him to raise you know his kids and give him to be before his wife and recognizing you know displaying that vulnerability and saying I don't have it all together, I don't have you know I don't know all the answers, but I'm gonna be faithful in what that next step is. And and I think, a, you know, a key aspect of that too is, you know, being in community, um, you know, with others. And I, I mean, I have learned, you know, there are things in my own past, you know, that I want to continue my family upbringing. There are things that I, I want and should need, and I need to discontinue. But there are also new things and new pathways that the Lord has introduced into my life um, by being in fellowship with, uh, with other brothers, other fathers that, that have, that are further down the path than I am that I can learn from. And so I, I would also encourage this, um, this brother to get in community with others and, um, and trust that the Lord will provide um, other mentors to help, to help guide them along the way. Yeah. Still lots of great questions coming in. We'll try to get to as many as we can, but if you have one, send it over, text it to 877-933-2484. If you just jumped in your car and tuned in, this is the hour that we talk to the pastors. It's called guy talk or guys that talk. And they will talk. All you need to do is ask a question. Again, the number is 877-933-2484. We kind of talk about anything and everything. So we'll be right back.
Welcome back to the show. So glad that we are now uh, enjoying our last segment of Guy Talk. We've got uh, lots of questions coming in. If you have time uh, to get to your phone or your computer and send a question, we will try to get to it as well. 877-933-2484. Here's a question. Have any of you been absolutely to the end of your rope? And what verses or <laughs> concepts, ideas give you hope? Or how did you come out of it? I know everything is temporary. Just looking for ideas on getting through. Mm. I just talked to a friend about this uh, today. The worst time of my life, I had a dream. I know you got to be careful, but I had a dream that I think was from God, and I heard the words, hands are controlling this. That I took it to mean God's hands are controlling this. And to me, when I'm going through agony, it really helps to know Romans eight twenty eight. God causes all things, even this kind of stuff, to work together for my good. So I, I, I like um, the end of the rope. I cling to things like a sparrow does not fall to the ground apart from our father, so neither could this, Romans eight twenty eight, uh, et cetera. When I was in seminary and had to take Greek, and you all know what that's like, I remember I got a piece of wood and I painted it and I put in, in Greek you know, the phrase, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, I've had that for nearly 50 years, and it still hangs in my house, and it still impacts me. And when I find I'm at the end of my rope, or I'm ready to give up, or I'm tired, I will literally go and stand before that and, and say that out loud, because I need to hear it over and over, and it's there in my face reminding me, you're not in this alone, Tom. Yeah, I, that, I think that's, I share that, Tom. I, I know the times that I've been at the end of my rope, that among those times, it just... It feels like there's literally nothing you can do that will drag you out of the situation, whatever it is. And and I think the only solace that I found in that is when there was literally like I didn't feel empowered to do a single thing. There was no matter which way I turned, it didn't matter. The circumstances weren't going to change that in that moment. All I could really lean into is the fact that God is unchanging and, mm-hmm. and, and his unchanging reality yeah. met me in his presence, meaning that God is present. Even if I didn't feel it, even if I didn't feel somehow mm-hmm. buoyed by that, the idea that God was present made me, made me realize that of all the unchanging things and of all of the difficult circumstances we have to walk in this present darkness of this broken world, the, it, it sort of winnowed all of those away for a bit. And I saw that, oh gosh, God is actually worth hanging on to in the midst of all of these things that I simply cannot get out of. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, Peter, to, that, that for me, it jogs a, um, the memory of kind of one of the most formational seasons of my life was when I was in college, and I think maybe the first time I really felt I was at the end of my rope. I've had definitely several others, but for the sake of time, this is the one, and I, I was literally on the middle of 94, Highway 94, um, on my way to a physical therapy appointment because I had a herniated disc in my back where I'd get sciatic nerve pain. And I had been told I could never play sports or football again. I was having to have back surgery. I I mean, as a 20-year-old, I'm just crushed under the weight of, like, the ramifications of this. And I'm stuck in traffic. My gas tank is on E. It's a hot, muggy July uh, afternoon. And um, if you know anything about driving a stick, right, in traffic, you have to clutch in, clutch out. Well, every time I put put my foot down on the clutch, I'd have shooting, like, tingling like lightning nerve pain go down all over my foot and i was literally screaming and i was at the end of my rope i thought i was just going to get out and leave <laughs> like mm. i don't know what i was going to do but i was literally ready to just to walk out of the car and just i don't know i was at the end of my rope and god met me in that moment with a verse a sermon that i heard on seven four 
has become my 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 uh, really my anchor, my anchoring verse, and recognizing the seeking God, you know, as the one thing of my life, and recognizing that season of life, I was seeking God as a means to an end, to get me out of this pain, to get back to health, to get me so that I could play football again, to get me back to whatever, rather than seeking Him for Himself, and I. That was the complete game changer for me, um, and the Lord met me in the middle of that moment with a grace that was, I had never tasted before. And my circumstances didn't change for a long time after that, but my character at the soul level uh, began to take shape and become began more like Christ in, in that furnace of that affliction for me in that time. And I have gone back to Psalm 27.4 again and again and again and again, and that there's a difference between seeking God for something versus seeking Him for Himself. Mm-hmm. Nicely done. Uh, a listener, we already discussed this, but a, another listener joined in, so I want to share this. And the, the question was, how do you learn how to lead your family as a father and a husband without having had a good example of critical thinking, planning, and prioritization? And Anne and Nate wrote it and said, watch the men at church, pay attention to the fathers that you admire when you watch them interact with their children. Ask them to be your mentor. Mm, that's a great Good idea. word. That's a great Solid idea. Solid idea. Yep. Solid idea. And then another listener said, when my mom died seconds beforehand, she opened her eyes, raised her hand, pointing up to the sky, and spoke my oldest brother's name and then took her last breath. She must have seen him? Wow. Question mark. My brother died nine months before my mom. I would have felt better had she called up my dad's name. He accepted Christ on his deathbed several years before this. Mm. Well, we don't know for sure, no, right? Of course, we, we don't, don't know for sure. But what, mm-hmm. what I th- find really intriguing is that in many secular hospitals, they have literature. And if you, if you talk to people within the medical profession, it's an incredibly common phenomenon that just as people are breathing their last, and even if they are in an unconscious state, they will suddenly in those last few moments jerk awake and they will begin to talk to the people that have passed before them. I know people in my life that that, is, that very thing has happened to. Know again, how we explain that phenomenon is an open-ended question, but the fact that the phenomenon exists is a very real and, and an incredibly documented situation for sure across all the medical fields. Well, you know, Solomon said eternity is in our hearts. There's no way to escape eternity. It is there whether we want to recognize it or not. And so I, I've seen these things. I've been with people when they're dying. I know exactly what you're saying, Peter. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very powerful. I've been blessed because a lot of the people I've been with have literally seen Jesus on their deathbed and related to me. People that never met one another, didn't know one another, different churches telling me the same thing. It's very powerful. Mm -hmm. Here's a question. How does one change their desire towards God and for God when you don't have the desire to start? Ask them. Okay. I mean, mm-hmm. no, and, 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 I, and I don't, and I don't say that at all, tongue in cheek. Like, I, I, I hear, what I know for sure is I've prayed that prayer, and I guess what I would say this is it's quite possible to be prepared for some pretty significant trials to come your way, and not because God is try, is against you and saying, "Yeah, it's about time you pray that I'm going to bring some affliction." It is that it's almost always in the trial and the affliction and the difficulty that strips away those things that we otherwise do desire. And to Justin's point, that this beautiful story you just told. I, there is this ability in affliction to begin to desire the things of the kingdom. I have prayed that very prayer, and I've just been terrified in a good way, like what began to happen in my life that began to strip away the idolatry I didn't know and replace some of those desires with the desires for the kingdom. But without those afflictions, they would have never been replaced. I would definitely say, you know, ask the Lord for help, and then uh, seek other people that can help you as well, pray with you, encourage you, 
And here's the tough thing. Come up with some kind of a plan. I think we like want things to just happen to us. And the Lord does make things happen, but he usually makes them happen in an orderly way through people, through circumstances, through something. Come up with a plan and put that plan to work. It's like dieting. I've January 12th, I started dieting. I've lost 50 pounds. You know, I asked the Lord for help. He gave me that help. I said, Lord, I need a plan. And he showed me a plan. Hmm. And I put that plan to work, and it's working. And I'm more handsome than ever. <laughs> well, you've lost an entire Justin Jepson is what you lost. That's amazing to me. <laughs> wow. I, yeah, real briefly here, I think this is where the, the role of spiritual disciplines comes in. And, and, and really, all, all of what, what, what spiritual disciplines are are rhythms and practices that help us cultivate an yeah. appetite for the things of God. And, um, and so, it, and again, they're called discipline. It's discipline first cultivates that desire. And so, you know, and I say, for example, if it comes to reading Scripture, you know, I think if, if you don't have a desire for scripture, scripture reading, you don't get it by reading about Scripture reading, by listening to it. You get it by reading Scripture. And in the same way that the Word of God has creative power to, create, to make to make something out of nothing. <laughs> I may have nothing in terms of my desire, but the Word of God still has that creative power mm. to create within me a capacity and an appetite for the Word of God by participating and engaging with the Lord in it. And so um, a lot more can be said on that, but I think that's where spiritual disciplines do come in. Mm-hmm. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, always, Bill. Always, so always a pleasure. Thank you, Bill. I love Thanks, you Bill. guys, and I love this hour, so thank you again. We'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Dr. Craig Keener. He's written a book called Impossible Love, the true story of an African civil war, miracles, and hope against all odds. I started this book, and oh my, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.